0: or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways, and not just on Saturday. Hey, you guys, it's Anna David here with the After Party Pod. How are you? Uh, my recorder is on one bar. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? When my phone is less than, I would say, 60%, I start to get anxious and say, oh, my God, I'm running out of juice, and run to the nearest plug, where I notice I have friends, their phones will be on red, and they're and they're fine with it. Um that being said, you know, trauma will inspire that. And I've had traumatic experiences where my phone has died. So I, I don't know. Email me. Tell me what you think that means besides the fact that I suffer from anxiety. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. So glad you're here. Oh, oh, oh. I'm not organized, but that reminds me that I have some, I've been sent some questions that I would like to answer uh, or some emails. Okay. Okay, you know what? I'm looking. I'm looking. Um, okay, but anyway, I, I can't find them. You know, I feel like the last time I recorded an intro, I told you guys how tired I was and how I was in an alternate state and how it was kind of amazing. And after that, I took a nap, by the way, which is something that hadn't happened in several decades. And um, today I'm so wiped out, but it's, it's a different reason. It's... Um, that i had a party last night you know it was my it was my birthday last week and you know i can't remember how honest i've been with you guys but it's been a horrible few months just in my head and i think that it was i was having a lot of feelings about this birthday coming up and that came and now i'm great and i've been feeling great for a while so i don't know i think there's some lesson in there about about anticipation and about how nothing is as bad as we ever think it's going to be. That it's the anticipation of something that's awful. It's not the thing. Um so so yeah, and so I, I went to Palm Springs with Danielle. You guys know Danielle. Danielle Stewart. She writes for The Site. And I realize sometimes I'll say the site and not even explain that I'm talking about the website that I run, which is called After Party Magazine, which this podcast is an element of. But we post 12 stories a day about addiction recovery, which is an exhausting amount. But but I, anyway, Danielle works for the site, writes a lot for it, but it is doing a lot of editing as well and d- kind of does everything. And she was in the last – not the last episode, but the one before – Oh, my point is that we went to Palm Springs for a, for a 12 step convention of sorts. I'll be honest. We were there because, uh, a couple months earlier we had been in Palm Springs and she said, Oh wait, we could come back for this thing and, and we could lie out some more. And I realized it was my birthday weekend. And I thought, that's amazing. I can get away. I can pretend my birthday's not happening. And anyway, we went for that reason. And, um, and had decided we weren't really going to talk to anybody because you just inherent snobbery and, and just selfishness. And we ended up, despite ourselves, making friends and having fun. And, and then, you know, after deciding to ignore my birthday, I ended up having a big party last night with my friend Emily Morse. And if you don't know, Emily is the host of Sex with Emily, which is a Actually, not that this isn't a popular podcast, but an incredibly popular podcast, which I was on a couple weeks ago. Uh, so go check that out. But anyway, ah, uh, we had a great party. It was super fun. And I gorged myself on cake and somebody from my office who was there last night had the foresight to take the cake that was left and bring it into the office today. So I just gorged myself again. Hey, this is my sugar high. Anyway... Uh, what do I want to tell you the, uh, the guest today? Okay. So we did this different format the last two episodes with three people and you know, I'm, I'm going back and forth this one. He got his own episode. His name is Leonard Bouchelle, And if you're in the recovery community, particularly the recovery business, you know all about him. He uh, runs, he created and runs the real recovery film festival. Go to the website. Uh, it's, in cities all over, uh, he has uh, the an addiction and recovery bulletin, which goes out to seventeen thousand subscribers. All uh, we get it, and we get a million story ideas from it. And he does uh, a award show every year, the Experience uh, Strength and Hope Award that he gives out. And he is a bit of a powerhouse in in this in this world. So I've known him for a few years and was really glad to have him on the episode. I had no idea what his story was and it gets a little much crazier than I expected it to get, you know, uh, drugs, obviously drugs, but, but, uh, New York drugs, uh, cops, you know, you'll hear the whole thing. And I think you will be on the edge of your seat. So here you are with Leonard Bichel. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God, I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Hardy animal, I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I used call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? So no, what
1: I, I can tell I can t- I
0: can t- hold, hold that a mic right resource. around here Where you were before Not there No okay.
1: right, right here, here Right here is perfect Right here
0: So what you were just mm-hmm. saying to me Was uh, interesting About how You were telling me a story About Quentin Crisp And how repetition Is the key to success And you were saying Because I thought I thought this was interesting In terms of Yeah Yeah In mm-hmm. terms of People who you hear Kind of give the same pitch uh, Or speaking thing over and over again it's the same do you know what i mean
1: yes i do know what you mean explain it again
0: okay (laughs) um okay so i mean i just launched right into okay for instance sometimes in the rooms of recovery i will you know be asked to speak and i will be sharing from the podium even though it's rarely a podium and i will find myself saying the same anecdote that i have said before and then i feel i was i'm like ah oh, god i can't do that i can't repeat it
1: well i always thought the blessing and curse of a great circuit speaker yeah which i don't think either of us
0: are but we should are, be
1: well a great circuit speaker hits all the right notes yeah but they're all notes he's hit r- before right and it's certain and it sometimes it lacks a certain spontaneity and sense of self-discovery. Yes. And when someone's sharing from their heart or from what happened that day, you're going to hear stories and anecdotes and revelations and epiphanies that the person themselves hadn't had until sure. that moment, which is what art is, or it's what what spirituality really is, to have an, an amazing revelation in front of an audience is like striking that's why i always said a great AA meeting is better than an off-broadway play
0: right i agree um the other thing and i just had this happen is that it's so disingenuous that i don't actually um believe it i don't you know when it's i have heard people who actually, okay, uh, a guy who spoke and was talking about, like, a dog dying, and he started to cry, and then it ended up being a bit. And I'm like, oh, my God, if you can fake cry for a bit, later when you're you're crying about, you know, not crying, but, you know, voice getting shaky, how am I supposed to believe you?
1: You know, I lost a dog two and a half years ago.
0: Mm -hmm. So sorry.
1: And was nothing fake about my tears for the first few months when it would come up although my sponsor told me that i shouldn't have described his head getting run over so graphically Mm -hmm. it wasn't fair for the people in the room Mm -hmm. and i find words should paint pictures even if they're tragic yeah because i think the purpose of a of sharing is to keep yourself sober first, and anyone else in the room listening certainly hopefully gets something from it, even if it's just to realize they're in the room with a human being with feelings, right. which is something we avoided for so many years. Right. So I always said a, a, sh- a good pitch that doesn't include you know, tears and laughter isn't complete for me. But I also used to say, a dinner party that didn't include conversations about the Holocaust, nuclear war, or AIDS wasn't really a great dinner party. Really? Yes.
0: Um, w- yeah, you would have hated the dinner parties I was having, where none of those things would come up. Because
1: everyone was on nitrous and helium and your voices. Remember
0: nitrous?
1: Yeah, I remember nitrous. Did you do nitrous. it? I never had my own tank, uh-huh. but I would be offered it from time to time.
0: I had a tank in high school. Somebody gave me a tank. And I remember I used to keep it in the back of my white Volvo. And, and then we didn't lock our cars at, the, at high school. And I remember it was stolen. But even scarier than that, because that's not very scary, one day my friend and I went to the cooking store to buy um, nitrous mm-hmm. You know, capsules. I, that's not what it's called. The Little
1: cartridges. Cartridges to, make- to put in. To make uh, whipped cream.
0: Well, to make yourself high. Wait, are we talking about the same thing? So you would put a balloon on the nitrous thing. Yeah. Fill it. Suck in. Suck it in. Suck it out. Suck it in. Blow it out. And and be dizzy and delirious. And I don't high. know,
1: but if, if there are any dentists listening, <laughs> could you <laughs> please set us straight. Um. On...
0: No, but that was like that was just one of the things we did. It anyway. We bought these. Uh, we bought uh, CO2 and not nitrous, and we got back to her house. And this uh, fellow uh, drug addict called us and said, "Did you just go to the cooking store and buy these? Because if you inhale these, you will die."
1: Because it's carbon dioxide. Yeah. Condensed.
0: Can you? Ah, God. Um. But anyway, that was that was something. Um. So you never had your own canister.
1: No, but I had my own chemist who was making amyl nitrate. Really. Back in college.
0: So, okay, so how did the whole drug thing start for you?
1: I was in New York with my mother and brother visiting. We lived in Philadelphia. We would go up every Christmas time, and we went to visit uh, my genius cousin Bob in Greenwich Village at 181 Christopher Street. And and it was a little bit of a family gathering. And at some point, my mother took a walk to go shopping, and my cousin Bob said, Have you ever... and I. Smoked one or two hits of pot. Mm-hmm. And suddenly my world went from black and white to color. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And the next night, my, with my mother and my brother, we were at the hotel. And she said, well, tonight, would you want to go see the Rockettes at Radio City Music Hall? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of beautiful women with tall legs spreading them in front of the whole audience. And I said... No, I think I'm just gonna go back and visit cousin Bob.
0: <laughs>
1: so already, it yeah. was it. I knew there was something her. going on there, and that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And then I was taking acting classes at Circle in the Square on the weekends, and I would take the train up from Philadelphia, do my acting classes, and then go stay
0: with Bob, with Bob, mm-hmm.
1: and sleep on his couch, mm-hmm. which was later made. Famous or infamous in the Andy Warhol movie, Trash, Mm -hmm. where Joe D'Alessandro gets a blowjob on the couch that I used to sleep on a lot.
0: Because Bob was in that...
1: In that Warhol factory scene, in one way or another.
0: Um, So, and Bob had no issue with getting you high and you doing... I was
1: already 17. Uh Uh-huh. You know, maybe he should have waited till I was 18. Right. Uh, So... But, no, yeah. he didn't because he was also from Philadelphia, and then maybe perhaps the first time he got high, his world turned from
0: black to from
1: you know West Philly to Broadway.
0: Um, did okay, and so and so, how did it graduate from that to the next level?
1: The next level was probably the day when I was at my doctor in downtown Philadelphia. And he told me that even though I had a heart condition, Mm -hmm. which had always kept me from any white powders whatsoever, I inquired, I said, Doctor, what about cocaine?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Would that be bad for me? Okay. And he said, as long as you don't shoot it, because you could get an infection from the needle that would kill you with your kind of aortic stenosis heart condition.
0: What year was this?
1: This was 1970 Okay, okay. And I remember leaving the doctor's office, walking a few blocks to my friend Eric Levine's apartment at 17th and Pine, knocking on the door, going in, and saying, uh, do you have any coke here? He says, yeah, of course I do. I said, put it out. He's let, like, it's
0: 1970. Me. Yeah, of he says, I of course
1: I do. I do. I said, I can do it. My do- I just got what the is, okay from my doctor what? And he put out four lines And I remember Just hearing the razor Go through
0: uh-huh, uh-huh, The crystals yeah. of coke It yeah, was yeah, like yeah.
1: John yeah. Cage having sex with Mozart uh-huh. Just the sound of it
0: Before you'd ever even done my it mind. Or later
1: No, the first time uh-huh. the ra- And I hope I'm not bringing up any triggering. Unpleasant euphoric yeah. Recall triggering devices little. Yeah but it just sounded good. And then of course, it didn't feel bad.
0: No, no, the first time, it, I would say it does not.
1: And it tasted good.
0: You liked the taste?
1: Doesn't You're everyone? you sick.
0: Um, well, the, a lot of the coke I did uh, came from Mexico uh, in gas canisters, literally, so it, it, there was a little bit of a gasoline element to it. But I mean no, I think that most of us yeah. found the drip kind of gross.
1: I thought the drip was like the like like the dessert. I mean, you had I, the meal and then you could still have some afterwards. As
0: yeah, as a, as a Association, I think that you know, it's sort of like the first time you smoke a cigarette or drink coffee. You're like, "This is disgusting," and then you like the effect produced by it. So then you go, "This is amazing." That's I, I sort of think that's well, what. Well,
1: maybe it is. men always bought their coke and tested it first, and maybe women always got it given, given it way, to them for free. All
0: I did was buy cocaine and allow men to do it with me, and th- because I'm too much of a control freak to have done other people's. Because I like that. yeah, it just. I couldn't control it. That was frustrating. If I wanted to do more, I I had to go ask again. And I I just would rather be in control, in charge. And also, I didn't count it as doing it if I did someone else's. You know? Mm -hmm. Because that would mean I probably didn't do very much.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's a crazy I counting no, system. No, no, I get good. it. You're, you're, it sounds like you're telling my story. <laughs> I never had an empty vial.
0: You always bought it
1: for thirteen years. Right. But I never thought I was a cocaine addict except for one year, because the, the first last year, the last year, okay, the yeah, last that's year, good.
0: I'm glad it wasn't the fifth year.
1: No, because for twelve years, every time I put a spoon in my nose or a, a hundred dollar bill on a piece of glass Listen with to a you. line, I
0: did it with dollar bills. Hundred. Go on.
1: With their cleaner. Okay. I mean the the hundreds.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: I always did it because I wanted to do it. But yeah. It was that last year, when I would tell myself I'm not doing any before dinner, mm-hmm. and then right after lunch, boom, a line.
0: Yeah. And then you're and, like dinner. And then I'm I don't thinking,
1: this is like this now has a hold to me. I always said it's like, for a while I was the puppeteer, right. with the drugs on each string, and then suddenly the drugs became the. Puppeteer, and I'm I'm the oh, I'm, I'm the like puppet.
0: That. I I'm like the that. puppet. Yeah. And I
1: remember once driving across the Golden Gate Bridge with mm-hmm. a my low profile, very sturdy and reliable large trunk Volvo mm-hmm. with a vial of coke in my hand with mm-hmm. the sunroof open, thinking I should throw this out the sunroof into the San Francisco Bay, and I never did because I knew if I threw it out the sunroof. It would it, I would have to acknowledge that I had a problem Wow and I never could and I never would so I would always just put it back in my hand and back in that little pocket in your jeans that the little pocket was made for and I <laughs> put the vial back and, and just stop thinking about it or like I said I I never thought I was a cocaine addict unless I was high on cocaine but in between Before I used it, I was okay. Right. And then I would use it and say, shit, I didn't really want to use today, and I did anyway. And I never knew how I would stop it. Yeah. Because you'd think, I can't stop. Right. Which means I have to do it. Right. But I have a feeling that it's outlived its usefulness. Right. Even though I was once rushed to a hospital in Studio City on Riverside near the Whole Foods. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the San Fernando Valley. There used to be a hospital there and then it was made into a a, a TV set. But they saved my life because I had this massive experience based on asthma, Beer. The heart. Cocaine. Okay. No, I stopped breathing. Oh, okay. I stopped breathing at two in the morning. I fell against my roommate's door. He luckily heard me, Mm -hmm. saw me, called the paramedics. They rushed me to the hospital. You know, two days later, uh, I woke up out of, I don't know if it was a coma. I was dead. I I had the experience of dying. I woke up and I heard my mother's voice, who lived in Philadelphia. And when Mm -hmm. I heard her voice, I thought, shit, I really did die. Right. Because... And actually, she, she was in the room. She was in the room because the, the hospital called her and told her she better fly out from Philadelphia right away because it was a fifty-fifty chance she would have to fly home with a body. Right. And and the doctor said, you know, if you had called us at seven in the morning, you would have died in the ambulance because the traffic would have been too much to get uh-huh. here fast enough for for us to intubate you to get you to start breathing because you were blue and you were gone and i knew i was gone because i had the experience of dying
0: what was that experience i mean what do you mean i don't want to blow
1: anybody's bubbles but there was no white light yeah but maybe that's because i wasn't meant to go right and i fought against it and i stayed alive even though i was dead until i saw literally the the dna of one of my sons in in the universe and i thought i have to go back
0: what do you mean you saw the DNA?
1: Well, when you're dying like that and you're in that other zone, it's beyond LSD. It's dark. It's you know, you know black, and then there was a blackness beyond any black I ever saw. And suddenly there was this like little strand of DNA that had my I don't think it really had my son's name on it, but I saw it as his. Right. And he was 6 at the time, and I thought, I can't die. No, this can't be happening. And when I came to, I thought I was alive again because I heard voices but I realized I had lost my eyesight because I couldn't see and it was like took them 20 minutes to know that I was conscious conscious conscious. right and what they had done was they taped my eyelids shut because of all the morphine your eyelids tend to pop open and stay open which would dry out your eyes Uh you know your cornea would crack so I had my eyes taped shut but I didn't know that So when I woke up, I thought, I can't see. I lost, I blew my eyesight. And then they take the tape off and I could see. And I remember not being able to do anything for like a week. I couldn't smile for a week after I got out of the hospital. My friends would come over and take me out to play pool Mm -hmm. because that I could handle. Mm -hmm. But I was so diminished from the experience that I never thought I'd smile again. Mm And I made a decision at that time that my problem was vodka. Wow. And if I could just only drink Bombay gin sapphire, I'd be better off. Wow. Because there's a lot of herbs in Bombay gin sapphire. Very good for you,
0: yeah. Good, yeah. Yeah. English. It would be a great diet, I think. Just that.
1: So I switched. I switched. I never thought of giving up pot at the time, which for an asthmatic would have been would have made sense. But I knew I could not live.
0: But you said coke too, right? Was coke the, every day for but 13 that was years. involved with that
1: that experience. Oh yeah, completely. We were up all night, snorting coke with Elton John's drummer, a woman. Mm-hmm. I won't give you her name. No need. Obviously, to. I don't even remember. But it was just one of those nights in LA yeah. where you smoke and drink and snort and smoke and talk and talk and joke and listen to records. And, and then I couldn't breathe. I had this massive, lungular shutdown based on everything.
0: Wow. And how, how that was, did you say year seven of doing coke?
1: No, that was about year 11. Okay. That was 1987, 1987. I think I kept it up for another few years before I realized that I got sober because the love of my life would come over and say, I don't like not knowing what kind of mood you're going to be in mm-hmm. because you're doing cocaine. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'll stop. Mm-hmm. And I stopped like that. You know, so I've always thought love can help. Mm-hmm. love can be a motivating factor mm-hmm. if you're not afraid of love and mm-hmm. if you feel like you can love back and if you deserve love and the woman who's offering you her love is is amazing.
0: What happened with her?
1: Uh, turned out she was a closet freebase addict. Okay. And every time she came over, she always wanted to... To roll around with me, but never in bed, always in the backyard, because mm-hmm. she was chewing mushrooms a lot. Mm-hmm. And she liked to be outside among nature the way most mushroom eaters mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And and eventually we had a parting of the ways. Right. You know, so she, she. She left her husband, but then she still didn't want to move in.
0: And also, so she was freebasing. And and judging you for doing cocaine to
1: Yeah. Those people in Bolinas. You know Bolinas, California? I do. Yeah. It's quite an issue. It's like where the time stood still.
0: Right. A gorgeous
1: place and everyone who comes to California should go there. But you won't find it because whenever they put up a road sign pointing towards Bolinas, the locals take it down. Is that true? Yes, it is true.
0: But it's out near Stinson
1: it's beyond Stinson Beach it's
0: possible I, even though I grew up in Marin I've never been there because the signs were not there no I've been there I know I've been there um, yeah yeah so so I mean growing up in Marin I'm familiar with the attitude towards drugs I mean I, I grew up in the 70s so it wasn't as um, you know free I, there was a little bit more judgment about it it wasn't like it was the 60s or something Um, but then I was there in the eighties, you know, so. So
1: how long did you partake?
0: I think, well, I first did cocaine in high school and then I did it. Um, I think I did it twice in high school and then probably like 10 to 15 times in college. Uh huh. And then it was really when I moved to LA in, uh, 1996.
1: So from 96 till.
0: I got sober in 2000. So not that long a run.
1: You don't have to do it for long.
0: No. The, the intensity with which I pursued it those last two years made up for the fact that it hadn't been right. six years or whatever. Um, but, I mean, you could have told me it was... If I didn't know the date I moved to L.A. and the date I got sober, you could have told me it was 16 years or two years. Like, it, it all, the time was very confusing, the amount of time I was spending on that. Do you know what I mean?
1: Luckily... It doesn't seem to be as in vogue as it used to be.
0: No, but I mean, unluckily, prescription pills are. And that it, they kill more people.
1: Well, the pharmaceutical industrial complex, did, complex was not happy with the Colombian cartels making all that money right. when they thought it should be theirs. Right. Well, so they've at least they've temporarily succeeded. won. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, you know, it is, I, I do hear that cocaine is around, you know, you sort of, I just was in a conversation where people were talking about that. Um, I have never seen cocaine since I've been sober. Have you?
1: I saw a mirror once on somebody's dress, oh, okay. dresser, so but trigger-ing. It, was, so trigger-ing. it was just like some powder, but not an actual line with an actual little wow. straw of any kind. Yeah, no, haven't, haven't. I, I've smelled it in some clubs. Yeah, People like put smell. it in a cigarette that or a smell. joint, and that smells like death to me. Yeah, the smell of freebase is the smell of death. But and you when,
0: were freebasing, or no? You were just snorting it.
1: Well, I started freebasing when I still lived in Philadelphia. In fact, oh. the first after the first time I freebased. In fact, my I was in Philly, minding my own business. Uh, my partner called from New York. He said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I don't know. I'm about to do a line." He said, "Don't do it. I've found a better way." And he comes back the next day from New York, and he has these. And we make up free base, you know, which is not crack because we had this little chemical that got rid of all the impurities. So you're left with this little sort of semi-moist material, and mm-hmm. you get the screen, and and we did it. And I thought, "Oh my God, this is." too good Mm -hmm. but i had my assistant gone by 144 little vials because i think we're making this shit right and after one night of staying up all night the next morning i realized i said this is evil incarnate Mm -hmm. i wouldn't sell this to adolf hitler or even george bush that's how bad this shit was. And I had given some to a friend of mine, an attorney, Big Ed, and he came back the next day. He says, I said, what'd you think? He says, it was the only time I ever tried to scrape the outside of a vial. <laughs> Do you have any more? Right. And I thought, this crap is... And then, and then there was someone else I was working with in Germantown, Philadelphia, and I'd go over and he owed me money. And I'd say, uh, Tony, where, where's, you know, the... And he'd say, oh, there's a, there's a cigar box over there. Just take out what I owe you. And I thought, this is not professional behavior. A cigar box of... Money that yeah. he said, just take what I owe you. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is not professional no. business no. Uh, you know, process. No. So I saw what it was doing to him. Right. Because he had lived on top of a clothing store. And like within six months, the clothing store was gone. And he's like up in his little right. apartment. But the great thing was, I ran into him a year later... And, I, and he looked okay. I said, Tony, how are you doing? He says, I'm doing great. I just bought my mother a house. I said, How did, could you afford to buy your mother a house? He said, I stopped freebasing for six months.
0: Great. So, but just for six months?
1: Yeah, that was enough to make <laughs> enough money to, to, buy, to his buy the mother house, a house and go back. A you know, little it? house in Philly, <laughs> well, not in Beverly Hills.
0: Yeah, yeah cheaper housing there. Still. Um, So, okay. And so then, how how did you get sober? What happened?
1: I was living in Marin County, California. Had quite a night. Mm -hmm. Quite a night. Um, And I woke up the next morning, and I felt like I was, I literally felt like I woke up in a hole in the earth, where I could literally see the different ages of the Earth's progression like a geologist can from this, the different kinds of dirt that you see when you dig a deep hole, and I was in a hole. And I thought, I just, well, I'm in a hole, and I have no idea how to get out of this hole. I mean, I was sweating, the walls of my room seemed to be sweating With the hummus that the earth has. So I don't want to say it felt like a coffin. It didn't feel like a coffin buried. Mm -hmm. But I felt I was in a hole. And I had two important appointments that day. Uh, At noon, I had an appointment with a masseuse Mm -hmm. in Fairfax, California. Mm -hmm. And then I had an appointment with a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. And so I got to my noon massage and after 10 minutes I had to excuse myself and get up and go outside and throw up. Mm -hmm. And I'm throwing up, and then I come back in for the massage. She was great, her name was Penny, she understood. She worked on a lot of dead, Mm -hmm. not people, but band members. Yeah, (laughs) they're big in Miranda. and, And 10 minutes later I had to go up outside and throw up again, and I looked and I thought, this is not why I moved to California. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong with this picture. Right. I can't even lay through a massage. Right. Okay. And I used to take a Percodan before every massage because I felt it would improve my the, the my I could think better. Yeah. There's nothing like an hour massage on a Percodan to like sort of get your thoughts yeah, straight. Yeah, get creative
0: and organized. So obviously
1: I could I couldn't even Fathom the idea of going to a chiropractor Who would yeah. try and crack me while I'm throwing up Yeah. So I left her office And I was on my way home And I had to stop at the phone booth To make a phone call Which is where I spent a lot of time And I'm at the phone And a woman I know Comes out of the Safeway And sees me And says Leonard, how you doing? and because like the sweat was flying off my head like in a cartoon with the cartoon characters Mm -hmm. where the sweat flies off and i said karen i'm i'm doing okay because i hadn't thrown up for 15 minutes Mm -hmm. so i thought i was getting better and she said you don't look you don't look that great i said well it was a long night and we had a little conversation and eventually i remember she said look i have to go because i just bought some ice cream i don't want it to melt Mm -hmm. i said okay And and then i said as she was walking away I said, did that rehab you went to in Rancho Mirage, did they, do they have an 800 number? Because hmm. I'm thinking maybe I should call. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, they do. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll call me when you get home, or she'll call me when I get home, and she'll give me the number. Because it's like I didn't want to spend the, like the long-distance charge yeah. on it, so they had an 800 number. Uh-huh. And when I got home, there was a man taking a picture of my, my house. You know, this little cottage, wonderful house with fruit trees and fig trees, and and there's someone taking a picture of my house, and I thought, fuck, a friend of mine who was arrested with a, a load of tieweed, weed, who's now in jail, who used to come to my house to score Hawaiian pot twice a year for his head, not even to sell, just for his... Th- he must have told them where I lived. Right. They're taking a picture of my house to take it back to jail to show him. Right. To say yes, you know, to confirm that this is the house and they're going to come back and they're going to arrest me.
0: Now, was that, in, that was insane paranoia, but it is weird that somebody was taking a picture of your house, yes. right? Yes.
1: Well, you're not paranoid if you know people are after you.
0: But, but truly, why would this guy in jail for weed, you weren't dealing drugs. You were
1: said the naive, young, beautiful okay. Jewish girl. you
0: hadn't mentioned that in the story. So, okay, no. Pertinent detail, that's all I'm saying. Okay, so you think that that's what's happening, but it wasn't what was happening. The
1: statute of limitations is up, right? Yeah, Seven they years? Yeah, don't,
0: they don't listen
1: They don't. They podcast. don't
0: listen. Um, <laughs> well, but it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. You, this, well, yes, somebody that's was taking I, yes, a photo. Yes,
1: that's, that's why I moved to Marin, your, where you grew up. Because yeah. Because the word on the street was, this is a great place.
0: To, to, to work. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's true.
1: Okay, I mean, a lot of deals I did were at Little League games with the parents with their trunks wow. open throwing bales of marijuana back and forth wow. at the Little League game when they weren't actually coaching the Little League. Wow. So, you know, yeah. it was sort of an idyllic place yeah, for a for certain, a certain and... criminal element. But yeah, the, you know, but I could But the see criminalness it. was only a societal you know a declaration obviously. Now, uh, I just found out there's a port in Oregon where it's actually legal for marijuana to be imported into the country in Oregon. Wow. one little port, yeah, that has a license to a where years ago you would get 10, 20 years if you tried that. So things th- have th- changed things a have little changed. bit, becoming a more enlightened society. But at that time, so I see a picture of a, a man taking a picture of my house. Mm-hmm. And uh, after he left, I went in, did a quick pack up, uh, called the 800 number, which I got from my friend, Mm -hmm. it was of the Betty Ford Center, Mm -hmm. and they said, call us back tomorrow, and we will do uh, an intake, an Mm -hmm. assessment. And I packed up my car, and I drove down to Big Sur, Mm -hmm. which was where I would go retreats and to like get my bearings and the next day uh i remember calling from a phone booth because i had a cell phone even though it was only 1994 I, I had one of those early clunky cell phones but it didn't work there because uh, it was like down by uh, a place called fernwood i called filled out an application on the phone for like over a half hour and at the end they said you qualify, mm-hmm. which still surprised me. Mm-hmm. Like, cause mm-hmm. And of course, I never mentioned marijuana because I thought if I don't mention it, they won't mention it. What did you tell them? I told them I took Valium to go to sleep. I like to take Perkinins when I flew. I was sort of addicted to hangover, to blackouts, and, mm-hmm. I, and I did a lot of ecstasy because mm-hmm. I'd given up Coke once mm-hmm. I found out that you could snort good powdered ecstasy. So they said, "We'll take it. Well, you're good. Mm-hmm. And because I hadn't had a DUI, I'd never lost my job. Right. I was self-employed. Right, I, right. <laughs> well, my rule was I would never work with anybody who drank more or did more drugs than me. Mm-hmm. So I knew the people around me were safe. And then they ended it by saying, and how would you like to pay for this? I said, well, wait, I think I have some insurance. Because mm-hmm. um, I was on an insurance policy my mother had from a... Of uh, camera store in Philadelphia because she had slept with this guy years ago, so he, she always kept her and me on the wow. on the company. It's useful, know, yeah. And, yeah, on the company insurance policy. So I said, I have Blue Cross, Blue Shield. Say so they said, give us the number, we'll run the number, and if we don't take you, we're sure we can find a hospital that will. Mm-hmm. And I said, a hospital? I ain't fucking sick. I just mm-hmm. need a rest. Yeah. I'm not going to no hospital. Yeah. And. They called back the next day, because I did leave my cell phone number, and I'm a place called Ventana, which is on the top of a hill. So they did have cell phone.
0: Oh, in Big Sur. Yeah. That's an amazing place. Yeah.
1: So I'm at the bar with a friend. They call, and they said, your insurance covers this 100%. Wow. And I remember just starting to cry. Yeah. I just started crying, because I knew the jig was up. Yeah. I knew. I was raising my son at the time, but he was... Home for the summer. He was at his other house for the summer. And I knew I had August free. And Mm -hmm. this was like sort of the end of July. And they said, come in in a week and we'll have a bed. And I remember just crying because I did have a plan B, which I know from that great guy uh, Rosenbaum from uh, some great guy in the valley. What's his name? Jack anyway, No, it's, oh, God, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Ben, I forgot his name. Uh, he always said, when you come to AA, if you have a plan B, you're fucked.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> but I had a plan B before I got in there, which was to go to England and just drink beer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. smoke hash, mm-hmm. but not do any white powders, because mm-hmm. I knew it was the ecstasy that really got me into rehab. It was the only drug I could not control.
0: Going to England to escape ecstasy is not a good idea, but you, but you didn't have any good ideas. I didn't ideas know that. Then. My okay. friend who
1: I would be staying with would, would 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 not know where to get it. so okay. I knew, I felt Anyway, sad. you didn't do. But it. anyway, I didn't have to do that, and then I, uh, you know, drove myself mm-hmm. out to Rancho Mirage in my own same Volvo that I used to think about throwing the vial mm-hmm. out of the sunroof, and I remember parking under a tree because I thought I'm going to be here for a month.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be
1: hot. I'm yeah. gonna park under a tree. Little did I know that a month later, my car would be so covered with sap that the tree excreted that I'd have to get rid of the car because wow. it literally was covered like a like a like a like a like a you know oh like a Jackson Pollock painting with with splatters. But, but it was time of, to
0: start fresh anyway. It
1: was time to start fresh. And I remember when they took away my keys when I was checking in. I said, wow, I had another set in my sock, which they didn't find. So Mm -hmm. I knew I could always, and I could see my car Mm -hmm. from where my little all-men's hall was. I could see my car. So I knew I could always get out. Mm -hmm. But thank God I never wanted to leave Mm because I realized this was the easiest month of my life. If anybody out there is contemplating going to rehab, call now. Get in the car. Yeah. Yeah. It's the easiest month of your life if you don't mind finding out who you are. Yeah. You don't have to cook. You don't have to clean. I mean, there's little chores that you have to do. yeah, and it's all about you. You get to talk about yourself every day. You get to hear what other people have been through, and you always find out you're not the worst of the bunch. you're not the you know, you're not the least affected, you're not the most affected. Right. You're not the sickest, you're not the healthiest. You're all in there together. And it's sort of like being with a bunch of other, in my case, men who are all at various stages of nervous, having a nervous breakdown, because you've taken away their crutch, and they're falling.
0: Right. But, you know, but I would also say that uh, 12-step recovery provides all of that minus the probably luxurious room and board. You know, you're responsible well, It's hardly
1: luxurious. You don't need no, luxurious. You just need clean. Some of them are.
0: But yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, those I don't consider-
0: Oh, come on. Okay, anyway, we don't need to get into that, but but I will say that um, you know that is one of the great wonderful things is that you show up and you get to talk about yourself doing steps. People like hey, oh really? I get to write about myself. I get to write about who I don't like, and someone's gonna sit and listen. Right, this is my dream right. come true. Right. You know, so so I get that, and so have you stayed sober since? Uh, I have, yes. Great, and yeah. how, how long ago was that?
1: It's 20, 20 years ago and 10 months. Wow. So it'll be August 4th. Wow. That I'll be celebrating 21. Jesus. Yeah.
0: Congratulations. What? It's um,
1: not easy, but it's doable.
0: Easier than it was back in those days when you were you know thinking they were taking pictures of your house, I bet.
1: Well, they were taking pictures. Oh, okay.
0: We didn't even get It's okay. It's okay. We don't need to know. <laughs> but my point is people often say oh my god it must be so hard to stay sober and i always say that was hard what i was doing before was hard this isn't easy it's a lot easier it takes a
1: lot of vigilance if vigilance is not in your makeup you're gonna get you know you're gonna be sus you know you you know there's 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 snipers out there whether they be bartenders girlfriends television commercials a bad day a sporting yeah. event when they when you have to pass the beer to the guy you know three seats down but if you're vigilant then you, and you do the work mostly through was it group therapy AA meetings step find some sort of spiritual connection right to something or even someone perhaps yeah Uh, A
0: guru of sorts or whatever. A Um,
1: pet? Yeah. A spouse? A
0: priest? doesn't matter. Um, No, I'm saying, whatever. I'm just giving options. Um, (laughs) But, oh my God, I had something super important to say. Um, Go back to what you were saying and it'll come to me. Um, Are we both forgetting what we were saying?
1: 12, so it was 20 years ago. Okay. And I've been lucky. And my son, five years after I got sober called me one day and said oh no he came home actually he came home and said dad i want to go into treatment i said okay and then he says but just for a week or two i mm-hmm. said you can't just go for a week you got to go for a month yeah and uh and betty ford gave me a great scholarship for him where it, like cost us very little because i was an alumni yeah. and I thought, my god it's like, like being, like being an alumni yeah, of Yale Harvard, yeah. or Princeton. Yeah. Like, Oh, wow. I'm an alumni. Legacy. They're gonna, you know, comp my son for most of the yeah. month. And I remember driving him there, and halfway there, we stopped for some sushi. And he looked at me and said, Dad, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah. And I said, Well, let me, they're expecting you. You right. don't want to disappoint them. Yeah. I'll take you. And if after a week you don't like it, I'll come pick you up. Right. So he never mm-hmm. made that call. Mm -hmm. He did like it, and he's been sober for 15 years.
0: Wow, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, he's got 15 years also just through program, sponsoring, being sponsored, and essentially hanging out with a lot of people who are not in the program. That's interesting. So his world is very wide. His life incorporates people of all walks of life who just do what they do. I don't think he hangs out with too many hardcore drug addicts or alcoholics, but most people are not hardcore alcoholics or drug addicts. Most people use drugs and alcohol the way God intended, Mm -hmm. moderately. Mm -hmm. Some of us have just been chosen or called to use up all our whole life's allotment in 10 years Mm -hmm. or 20 years. And then we can't use it anymore because we used up all of our a lifetime supply.
0: Yeah, that lost the privilege is sort of how I think. Okay, wait, I have yeah. a couple of things to say. Yeah, I wouldn't say chosen. You know, some of us uh, were predisposed and had experiences. I guess you could call it chosen. Um, but the other thing, I had a couple of arguments. I don't know too many people who are casual users of hard drugs. Slash, I don't think I know anybody. Sure, casual pot smokers. Um, I mean sure, I guess casual ecstasy takers. I
1: hear from certain doctors that people smoke crack on the weekends. I don't get I it. Think- but maybe they don't have the pre- the genetic predisposition. Maybe their lives are fairly well balanced.
0: Can I another suggestion? These doc- The doctors you have mentioned that you have consulted are absolutely crazy. One's telling you go do cocaine. One's telling you people smoke crack casually on the weekends.
1: Well, one told me, he didn't say go smoke crack. He, so go, he said go. it's not dangerous. Said, what doctor? It's not dangerous for you. Can you
0: imagine a doctor in 2015 saying
1: that? No. No, now they tell you we have something to, to assuage your cravings. Here's a prescription. Or two. Yeah. Or three. Um, and as far as people smoking crack recreation on the weekend, I don't think these are particularly well-balanced, happy people. Right. But I think the odds of them quitting before they start, before that weekend turns into Friday and Monday also, yeah. I think their chances of quitting are just the same as them becoming full-blown crack addicts and needing to have to go to rehab, which everyone who is out there smoking crack on a daily basis, you should really consider checking in somewhere.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing, too, because there are. it just reminds me of an interesting thing. You know, the number of people, I know plenty of people who did not go into treatment and are sober, but they pretty much just drank, which is not to say that people who only drink and don't do drugs don't ever need rehab, but that is... The reality of my experience.:
1: I'm a big fan of harm reduction, mm-hmm. And I ran into a friend last night at Whole Foods mm-hmm. who I hadn't seen in well over f- more than five years. Mm-hmm. Also from Philly, hardcore coke dealer, mm-hmm. pot dealer, cokehead, pot addict, uh, everything, Freebase, mm-hmm. you name it. Mm-hmm. And he got married 20 years ago. Mhm. And he sort of reduced the intake of most of his substances. Mm-hmm. Ended up becoming like a bottle of wine a night mm-hmm. guy, because in his new society and with his new wife, pot was like for children. You know, that's like mm-hmm. you know for young people, not too young.
0: Yeah, but
1: you know, it's it's like passé. Once you're forty and you're still smoking pot, you got a serious developmental problem going on, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Okay. So I saw him last night after years and. And all he does is, like, once a week he'll go to the uh, casino and play poker. Mm -hmm. So all of his, whatever little addictive qualities he had, and believe me, he used, like, anybody, everybody. He was a drummer, he was in a band, producer, successful, had it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, and had all the drugs that go with it. Mm -hmm. All he does now is, like, drinks once a week, just a little. Yeah. And he plays poker
0: yeah i mean it it is i i know of these stories too i'm trying to think if i know people i i just know of these stories i know it's true um well yeah no and we got to get close to wrapping up so let's talk uh you started working you decided you wanted to create something that would help writers in recovery is that how this I all did. started I,
1: I was a friend with buddy arnold uh-huh, the great the saxophone Ma- player okay, who started yeah. MAP, the yeah. musicians assistance program yeah and he passed away, and I thought, I want an organization with a great acronym as well. Mm-hmm. So I, And I knew a lot of writers, and I'd been a publisher, and I thought, what can I do? And I'd been a drug counselor for some years, mm-hmm. and I thought, what can I do to use all my skills and talents and interests and loves and passions to, to do something that melded the worlds that I like to inhabit, which is the cultural, creative artistic Mm -hmm. world and the world of recovery Mm -hmm. and so i started writers in treatment Mm -hmm. which was initially uh just helping people in the writing industry get into into rehab
0: just like map does just like map did with
1: musicians yeah uh and what we found was that we were sending about four to six people a year to treatment. And it wasn't just writers. Ultimately, it was anybody who made their, their living off the written word. It could have mm-hmm. been a librarian, mm-hmm. which it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Bookstore owner, mm-hmm. who now that Amazon is delivering books the same doesn't day, doesn't ha- have a store anymore. Yeah. <coughs> and then the first year we decided how can we let people know what we're doing so we started the first real recovery film festival in los angeles seven years ago okay and the very first film we showed was permanent midnight okay and we had jerry stahl bring ben stiller to the theater that's great and they had like a half hour conversation on stage afterwards which was awesome yeah it was just so amazing to hear ben who's not in recovery because he's a normie and jerry who had his ups and downs who was
0: yeah previous podcast um, guest i might i might yes
1: okay who has a new
0: book out og dad the man puts out a book like every because
1: he's a real writer oh he
0: is okay Uh, just
1: doesn't just write one pilot and try and shop it around for 10 years while he's
0: that man's amazingly talented go on
1: yes so that was the first one, and then we showed classics, a lot of classics the first mm-hmm. year, including on bar- the
0: Bowery and
1: on the Bowery. We showed the next year, mm-hmm. but we showed Barfly, mm-hmm. the Charles Bukowski story. Yeah, and we were lo- we were lucky enough to have an actress who worked as one of the barflies in the bar wow. where where Faye Dunaway and the actor Mickey Rourke Mickey Rourke drank and and so she came to the theater and talked about her experience making the movie Mm -hmm. but also she said that her job when she wasn't on camera was to babysit Charles Bukowski who would come to the set with his wife so she had great stories about Charles Bukowski Mm -hmm. and we've had that kind of energy Mm -hmm. going on at the film festival which is now a week in New York for the last four years our seventh year in Los Angeles for a week uh, we just did one in San Francisco down in Japantown, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. We had Mackenzie Phillips there. We had a uh,
0: previous mm-hmm. podcast guest. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying. Go on.
1: And uh, it, it was our second year in San Francisco. And people in the recovery community come, people in the treatment industry come, just educated film, go, film you know, people mm-hmm. just come mm-hmm. and they know that after every film, we never just show a film. What sets us apart is that after every film, we either have a filmmaker, if they're there, which mm-hmm. is in L.A. and New York, that happens quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we have a clinician do like a mini process group with the audience. So no right. one just mm-hmm. sees something and then gets... Sent home. There's yeah. always a talk back, and there's always Q and A, and there's always processing. Yeah, so that's it's right. it's all you know. It's audience participation all the way.
0: And it's so people can find out about it. At WritersinTreatment.com. And
1: RealRecoveryFilmFestival.org.
0: Okay, so but the, is there a separate or. website for there Writers is, and Treatment? Yeah. okay.
1: And real is spelled R E E L, uh, which I think eventually might be uh, a, a passe expression but oh, back, because, yeah. back in the old days films were distributed on reels of celluloid yes uh, so it's the real r e e l real recovery yeah. film festival because these a lot of these films are truly about real recovery right. but they're also about addiction and our only criteria for accepting a film is that it, it's honest it's entertaining Mm -hmm. even if it's even if it's a difficult film Mm -hmm. so honest entertaining and informative Mm -hmm. you know we love when certain therapists come to see films about addicts because they treat addicts but they've never been one themselves Mm -hmm. and and the addicts, you know, don't always really have the, the, the ability to explain what it's really like to live a life of an addict. But movies like Drugstore Cowboy mm-hmm. certainly does. And there's a new movie coming out called Animals about this amazing love affair of two heroin addicts in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, so addiction and alcoholism, The Lost Weekend, and, mm-hmm. you know, have been portrayed really well on film. Leaving Las Vegas mm-hmm. is an astounding film. Mm-hmm. Shame, Starring Michael yeah. Fassbinder. Yeah. Is one of my favorite.
0: R- yeah, I mean, mine are Train Spotting and, um, oh my God, how am I forgetting the name of the one? Um, with
1: uh, yes, Requiem yes, a Dream, dream yeah, of yeah, course yeah. which Ugh. is impossible to watch twice it's a great movie uh, you know what but nobody wants to watch no. that twice when I was a, newly
0: sober yeah. I didn't I didn't I think I didn't want to do cocaine or drugs but I wanted to watch movies about I've seen that yes. movie so many times and
1: the thing that we offer is that you don't watching something like that at home might be triggering, overly triggering. Yeah. But if you're watching, because everyone has curiosity, even after you get sober, you say, Joe, I never saw Train Spotting." Come to the Real Recovery Film Festival. Yeah. They show, you know, one th- a quarter of the films are probably classics, mostly from the last year, mm-hmm. like Shame and Thanks for Sharing with mm-hmm. Mark Buffalo and Gwyneth, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Paltrow. Great movie about 12-step recovery. Great I wasn't a fan. Great movie but, yeah. about okay. 12-step recovery. It's it a lovely... Ridiculous.
0: But yeah, go on. Well, you
1: don't, probably don't like... Gwyneth Paltrow I love
0: in Gwyneth that Paltrow.
1: Outfit, I have in her that outfit in that outfit if you Hulk haven't
0: book. seen it check out I just didn't think it was very realistic but you know what
1: well Tim Robbins is the bleeding deacon whatever, I know whatever
0: whatever okay um so, Okay, so, and so, and you put out uh, a newsletter that I would bet a lot of our listeners would be interested in, so they can subscribe it's to that. It's the
1: Addiction Recovery Bulletin, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it comes out every Tuesday morning. If you subscribe to it, it comes into your mailbox on Tuesday. If not, you can go to the website, uh, which is org. And you can sign up for there. And every week that the newsletter goes out on Tuesday, it then instantly becomes the homepage yeah. for the website. So, if any, any time you go to it, you'll see the most recent newsletter, which is usually 32 to 34 stories God, it's that, many. that happened within the last week. Yeah. You know, we're not printing old stories or old blogs, it, it has to be fresh. relatively fresh. Mm mm-hmm fresh not rotten but fresh Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and interesting and pertinent yeah and we like the fact that a lot of drug counselors when they're looking for group topics will find an article in there to print out and use as a topic for groups you know we print stories about the treatment industry we print stories about celebrity mishaps or celebrity sobriety any new laws that might affect the drug or alcohol Using public or the industry, and we essays try and
0: about you know,
1: and great essays,
0: and and all, you posted our review of the Thirteenth Step movie and brought us more angry comments than we know at two hundred and thirty and counting, including an offer from the uh, the director to try to get the the writer of our review to come on her radio show to debate it.
1: Well, I don't even want to repeat what you said because I don't want to give this thing any more oxygen that it already has, and yeah, I hope it I, dies a like a really fast, somewhat semi painful. I
0: think it's dead. I mean, isn't dead. it? Like, who can see? You never see know. It? Well, I mean, where are you going to see it? If one of it? these
1: things pops up on on Netflix, don't uh, think it will.
0: But you know, yeah, I hear you. I mean, look, I don't, I don't think it's a, you know. I think it's a a realistic desire to not have it make a big impact. Good. Well, when someone decides to
1: throw their life away by making a film that attacks an organization that in their bylaws cannot defend themselves and ends up making a few good points, but ends up surrounding those good points with... Lies, innuendos, non-truths, and and a sense of vindictive viciousness. Yeah. Then it's a hatchet job. Yeah. And like a, all hatchets, they should end up in the ocean.
0: I I I I would agree with uh a, everything except the last little modifier about the ocean. But I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I think. But I just whatever. I, I don't I don't want to get into. I don't want to get into it any more exactly than than you do. But, okay, but so we have to wrap gi- up. <laughs> Ladies and okay. gentlemen of
1: the jury, disregard those last...
0: Uh, that might be edited out. No, I'm not, I don't have it 60 seconds of comments. Yeah, you don't even know what we're talking about, you guys, anymore. Okay, so this was Leonard Bichel. How great How great was this? Did you have fun?
1: I have fun with Anna David. Oh, I but mean, can you please <laughs>
0: learn to say my name right?
1: Anna David.
0: That's still not even right.
1: Oh, Anna. Anna. Anna.
0: That's perfect. Anna. Okay. Okay, so that was Leonard Bouchelle. I also realized I forgot to answer any question. Somebody wrote me asking about quitting smoking. I will tell you I did it through Nicotine Anonymous and I would never have done it otherwise. So check that out. I'll give a longer answer another time. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.